0: Well, uh, I'm thankful to see the smoke is kind of cleared. is isn't it nice to see the, the wind seems to have changed directions. I saw some, some blue sky out there today. Um, we've been praying for our, our sister church up in, up in Oak Ridge. I reached out to their pastor on Friday and said, if you need anything, if your people need a place to land, we are open to you. And, and just let him know we were available to them. And fortunately, he said, everyone in our church community has found a place to land there. They're evacuated safely. So we're thankful for that. Um, but uh, jumping into our final message in this series uh, of, of making, uh, making sense. I nearly said making change, which that's similar, similar. Um, so uh, uh, did you know that there are 33 amendments in our Constitution? And the first few, a lot of us are pretty familiar with. The first amendment in our Constitution is the right to free speech, Right? The second amendment is the right to bear arms. Uh, the fourth amendment is a right to privacy. It protects you from uh, illegal search and seizure from the government. And, uh, and, uh, and we know that pleading the fifth is our right to remain silent. But you notice I've skipped one in there. It's one of the lesser referred to ones. Not many people are, are saying, I'd like to claim the third. It's not one you hear very often these days. That's because the third uh, amendment is that no soldier shall be quartered in a house without the consent of the owner. And uh, not many of us have people from our armed forces showing up at our door being like, yo, you got a futon? And uh, would it kill you to make some bagel bites? Come on, let's do this, you know? It's not something we're dealing with in our day-to-day world. You're like, I plead, I plead the third, I plead the third. It, it's just not something we deal with. So where where did that come from? What was its history? Well, um, it was in response to what was called the British Quartering Act. See, back in uh, 1754 to 1763... There was this event going on called the French and Indian War, and the British were sending soldiers over by the tens of thousands for that war. And after the war ended, they realized, you know what? We'd kind of like to keep a, a, our presence there, a standing army in the colonies, because the colonies seemed to be getting a little restless. And so they, they, the Parliament passed this this move, uh, this act that says um, we are going to make it so you have to, if a soldier says they want to crash with you, you have to give them housing and you have to feed them. And uh, that didn't make people too happy. And so it was actually one of the, the major grievances that Thomas Jefferson mentioned in the Declaration of Independence. And it was one of the major impetuses for uh, the revolution. And so that's why it's actually in our Declaration of Independence, why it's mentioned as one of the top uh, things in our Constitution, though we now don't really refer to it. But if you look back to the first century, the Roman Empire had something very similar going on to what the British Empire had going on. See, the Roman Empire had this similar statute, and it was based off of actually something the Persian Empire had done. And that was, if a soldier comes to you and they want you to do something, you pretty much have to do it, especially in terms of carrying their burden. So if they came to you and said, my backpack's kind of heavy, I'm going on a long march, I want you to carry, carry it for me, you were required, you were compelled by law to have to carry their burden at least for 1,000 steps. That was considered a Roman mile, 1,000 steps. And so, this was whenever they'd conquer a, a land, an area, or whatever it might be, they required that you carry their, their, their gear a thousand paces. And this is actually something we see in the Bible in Matthew 27. Um, it talks about when Jesus was about to be crucified, he could no longer carry his cross, and the Roman soldiers grabbed a guy named Simon, and they made him carry the burden. He didn't have an option. He didn't have a choice. He got to carry the cross, the crucifixion implement for Jesus. And so, this occurs there, and then there's another moment where Jesus addresses it in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew 5, Jesus is on uh, the, this mountainside giving this dissertation of what it means to be one of his followers, what it looks like to follow him, and how people who are his disciples stand apart from the rest of the world. And in verse 41, Jesus says, If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. In the New Living Translation, it says, If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile... Carry it two miles. See, this is where we get the phrase, going the extra mile. This is actually where we get it. Going the extra mile. So the people hearing this would have had immediate, intimate knowledge of what Jesus was talking about. This wasn't just a concept. Some of them may have, in fact, on the way to hear this sermon, had to carry someone's gear. And this was this was uh, uh, disrespectful. It was inconvenient. It didn't matter if they were going the same direction as you. If they caught you, you're going that way for a mile. It was dehumanizing, and so these people hated the Romans. They hated this occupying force, and on top of it, they're forcing them to carry their stuff around. And so uh, Jesus says, not only do you have to uh, carry it a mile, you have to carry it an extra mile. And then to give some context to the verses around it, starting in verse 40, he says, And if any of, anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces to go one mile, go with them two miles. He says, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, right here, this section, Jesus is referring to a portion of the Mosaic law. You might remember a few weeks ago we talked about the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law. And in the Mosaic law, it's based on something called an eye for an eye. An eye for an eye, which means this is the ju- judicial civil law about fairness. What's mine is mine, and what's yours is yours. But if you hurt me or take something that's mine, I get that thing back from you. I get yours, right? You you hurt me, I get that back. And so this is the the fairness of the 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 law of Moses. And so Jesus takes this law and then he stands it up on his ear on its ear and he's like, No, no, no! You heard this. You heard eye for an eye. You heard tooth for tooth. Here's what I tell you. And he turns this entire thing on its ear and he says, this is what the law requires. This is the most basic of basic. He says, that's the baseline. But I'm calling my followers to a new level of outrageous generosity. I'm calling my followers to a new level of outrageous charitability. That doesn't even seem to make sense. Beyond what's required or what the rules say. These aren't just things that we do for our friends. But these are things we do for people we don't even like. These are the people that we would consider our enemies. In this list, he talked about your legal opponents. People that are literally suing you for the shirt off your back. People that are literally oppressing you. A military state that's living around you, oppressing you. Loaning to people that you know won't pay you back. That's not called a loan. That's called giving it to them. That's no longer a loan, right? That's a donation. That's a gift. And so Jesus says, my followers are going to be marked by this ludicrous selflessness, this scandalous generosity. And so he says, the law of Moses, you've heard eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You've heard this. That's at the most basic of levels. But the giving he says we're directed to is, is far beyond. And so the mosaic level of giving starts at what's called the tithe. And we're instructed through Scripture, from, from the Old Testament all the way through, to the tithe. We're instructed to trust God with the tithe. So that's where we, our starting point is. That's the base level, is to trust God with the tithe. And we're going to stop for a minute here and talk about trusting God with the tithe. The Hebrew word for tithe is maeser, which literally means tenth, one-tenth. And so in Deuteronomy 14, it says this in the Mosaic Law, "...you must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year." Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for His name to be honored, and eat it there in His presence. And this applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. So this is the Mosaic Law that's set out and established. And and uh, and this is, this is a directive that's echoed in the book of Leviticus, and it's actually echoed far later into the Prophets' And we see it in the New Testament as well. The, the giving of tithes is considered very basic. When Jesus is at the temple, he's watching people give tithes. And he's like, that's the basis. That's the very minimum when you give your tithes. And so this this giving of tithes is something that he says here in this last verse. It teaches us to be stewards of God's resources. It's teaching us to be stewards of His resources. Now, um, when you hear the word steward, it's Christian lingo. You don't hear that out in the world very often. You aren't going to watch MSNBC or something like that, and they're like, "We're going to take a look at the stewardship going on around here, right?" That's not when when you hear stewardship in church, you're like, "That's that's Christian lingo for having a building campaign." Um, Stewardship is the modern world word what we would use is called asset manager. An asset manager. Stewardship is managership. It's, we are asset managers of God's estate. Amen. We are asset managers of what's already God's. In Psalm 24 verse 1 it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. This is all God's. Everything in it is God's. And it's our directions and our procedures as managers of God's estate to be faithful in our tithe. To be faithful. Now, you, we read in, in, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy that they were supposed to bring in, like, fruit and vegetables and cows. You don't need to bring those into church. I wouldn't know what to do with it at all. I would just give it to Dell and Jerry Mann or something. I don't know. But, <laughs> they were an agrarian culture. This was their currency. That was their livelihood. And so they were to take the first fruits, the first of what they had, and bring it into the Lord's house. So it's our directive that of the 100% that's ours, God says 90% of it is for you to use, to invest, to use at your discretion. But the first 10% goes back to me. is to come back to me, and that's the directive God gives. Now, I've, this is a common question a lot of people ask. Well, is not tithing something that would keep me out of heaven? If I don't tithe, will I go to hell? Let me say it's not a salvation issue. That salvation comes through faith alone in Jesus Christ. uh, But this is an instruction that's from the owner of of the estate. This is something that as part of his organization, this is how we operate within his organization. And so you say, will I go to hell if I don't? No. But let me say, you can go to hell if you do too. In, uh, in the book of Matthew, there's a guy who, who does tithe. Jesus refers to him, and, uh, and he, he talks about his tithing, but then he didn't know Jesus, and he actually ends up in hell because he didn't know Jesus. So something else that can be misconstrued is, well, God, needs, God must need my money. That's why they're always up there saying, you know, we need to give and things like that. God needs my money. Let me tell you, God does not need your money. God doesn't need your money. He's not wringing his hands going, I hope such and such tithes today. Um, sometimes we feel like, you know, here comes the plate. I'll give God a little bit of a hand here. I'll help him out. Kind of like tipping a waitress. You know, God, it's been a good good couple weeks here. Appreciate it. Keep up the good work. Um, if God needed your money, he, he'd take it. And there'd be a little greasy spot left where you were. Uh, you know, they... We, we like to think we have some sort of control, but, but really, uh, it, God God wants us to tithe because he needs it. But because when we give, it fundamentally changes us. Amen. When we give of ourself, when we give of our time, when we give of our talents, when we give of our treasure, it transforms us. And that's why God wants us to give, because God is molding us and making us more like him. And, and, and God is the ultimate giver. God is the ultimate giver. You say, well, where did, where, where's God tithing? Where, is, where do we see this? Probably one of the most famous verses in the Bible, if not the most famous, I think people that haven't even been raised in church know this verse, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he yeah. gave his one and only son. The other day, uh, it was still summer. It was one of those perfect days where it was my day off and I got to sleep in till 6 a.m. or something. It was yeah. so great. Hosanna and I were in bed. And our door creaks open. Our youngest wakes up before anyone else, and he came in, and the dog was right behind him. And I'm 90% sure the cat was in this parade too. It was a parade of just things coming into our room. And he jumps up on our bed, and he gets be- this. He- this is his tradition. He gets between Hosanna and I, and he does this, and worms his way to create a space. And then he slowly rotates himself onto his back, so that he can have like that. That's his spot. And we were lying there, kind of compressed to our edges of the bed then, you know, as he's right there in the middle. And I thought to myself, I wouldn't trade this moment for the world. It was so great having my son there next to me, just lying in bed. You know those moments where you just are reminded of how special and precious these fleeting moments are? i was saying, this is beautiful. And I also thought to myself, there's nothing I wouldn't do for this boy in this moment. There's nothing I wouldn't do for him. And I know as many of us as parents, we feel that love and that affection for our kids. Can I tell you? I look across this room and uh, there's a lot of you, I think you're pretty swell folks. You seem like a pretty good crowd. But I wouldn't give them up for a single one of you. I wouldn't give up my son for anything. But God gave his only son for us. In our brokenness, in our lost state, while we were still his enemies, he sent his own son to die for us. What an incredible giver God is. And so when we give, we are getting but a portion of this this personhood of God. Giving is not just something God does. It's something who He is. And God gave His Son for us. And before we move on, I just want to take this moment in this service. This feels weird, right? at the kind of the first half of the sermon. But I want to do this right now. If you're in this room and you've never trusted Jesus with your life, let me tell you what God did. He gave His Son for us because when we sinned, we were all separated from God. We lost that relationship with God that, that was designed and intended and sin separated us from God and that separation earned us death. One day we will all have a physical death but also we have eternal souls and those souls will be separated from God forever. Because of our sin, we've been separated from God, but God saw from heaven where we were at and he sent his son, his design from the beginning to die in our place. That one day when we step through this shroud into eternity, we can stand before God face to face, righteous before him because Jesus took our place. He took our sin upon himself. He died for us and he was resurrected and he is now king of kings and Lord of lords. And we have salvation through Jesus and him alone. What an amazing promise. So right now in this room, I just want to take this moment and pause. This isn't really part of a normal message like this, but I want us to pause. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes for a second? If you're in this house right now and you've never given your life to Jesus, maybe you've been living on your own terms. Maybe this is just something where you're like, wow, this was unexpected, but I I don't think I stand right before God. Hearing how God gave, I want to receive that gift that He gave his own son, that I could know him. God's not looking to smite me. God's not looking to condemn me or damn me to hell. He's looking to save me from the condition I'm already in. And so right now, if you're in this room and you want to give your life to Jesus and say, I'm ready to surrender that to you, Jesus. I want you to raise your hand. I want you to raise it high. Raise it up. Raise it up. I want to pray with you. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm just going to pray over us this morning. Lord, we thank you for the gift of Jesus. What an amazing thing that you have set the precedent for the most outrageous of gifts, your own son. And this morning, even those of us that have served you for a long time, we receive him once again into our lives. Even now, come Lord Jesus. Be my king and my Lord. Lord, I declare you as king of my heart. I believe that you came, you lived a perfect life, you died on the cross taking my sin, you were buried and three days later you rose again and that you right now sit at the right hand of the Father and that one day I can see you face to face. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. But God gave. So God sets up this precedent for giving and his intent is not to try to wring money out of us because he needs it, but it's to form us and to shape us to be more like him. When we give, there's something fundamentally that happens to us that we are formed and and, and reshaped to be more like God. Tithing is also a reminder of ownership. If you've ever had payments that you've had to make on a car or a house, you're reminded of who really owns that thing, right? Oh, the bank owns that. Tithing is a reminder of whose it really is. It reminds us, this isn't all mine to choose how and what I do with. This is the Lord's He's entrusted me with, and it reminds us whose it is. Tithing is also worship. You remember a few weeks ago, we read from Matthew six twenty four. It says, no one can serve two masters, Jesus says. You're either going to hate one and love the other, or you're going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. This is an exercise in showing who you serve. Ooh. When we tithe, we are demonstrating who we are serving, who our worship and allegiance goes to. So tithing is an act of worship of saying, Jesus, you are the one that I put my trust in. You are the one that I put my faith in. I do not put my faith in my financial portfolios and my different things that I can accomplish in and of myself. I'm putting my faith in you, and as an act of worship, I give. And so tithing is an act of worship. When we tithe, we are demonstrating our devotion to God, not our devotion to money. Tithing builds your trust in God's faithfulness. I love that. Tithing builds our trust in God's faithfulness. Paul writes a letter to a guy named Philemon. It's a fascinating story, by the way, of the story of Philemon and, uh, and this, uh, this correspondence that, that goes on. But Paul writes this in his letter. He says, and I'm praying that you will put into action, underline this part in your Bible if you can, the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things that we have in Christ. You see, when we give, when we tithe, we stop trusting in our own strength and increasingly learn to trust in the Lord. Um, I, I don't know if you've ever watched a baby start to walk. Do you know what's amazing is watching like horses start to walk immediately. But when they first put the, the, their, their weight on those legs and how unsure it is and how wobbly it is, but the more they practice, I don't know what gives baby that desi- babies that desire, like, I'm going to keep falling over, I just want to keep doing this over and over, but the more they do it, the more strength they get, the more trust they put in those feet, before you know it, you've got people that can do gymnastics and flip through the air like 50 times and all kinds of things, because they've learned how to put trust in, the, in those things they stand on in the same way. When we exercise that faith through giving, it strengthens how we trust in God. It's putting into action what we profess. It's putting into action what we want to feel. It's saying, now I'm going to stand up on those legs and actually start to build that faith. And so it unlocks this this ability to put our trust in God. And we stop trusting in our own strength and increasingly trust in the Lord. And this, in turn, unlocks the hand of God to pour out blessings. This unlocks God's hand to pour out blessing. Now, let me say, this is a this is a part of the message that's been abused, and a lot of us go when we hear this part because we've seen the greasy haired preachers on TV. I'm not going to say names, but they they're getting out of their Learjets and they're like, "I want to tell you something. You send ten dollars, and a thousand dollars will be in your mailbox tomorrow. Just I'll send a prayer hanky your way." And we hear this abused message of when you give, there's going to be just this outrageous wealth that's going to be poured out in you. Let me tell you, that I'm not, I'm not going to paint this in any kind of false picture, but here is a promise that God gives us in the book of Malachi, straight from the word of God. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try me in it. Put me to the test. That's the word of God. This is the only place in the Bible. Look for it where God says, test me. He says, put me to the test. Try me on it. Otherwise, we're not supposed to do that. Jesus says, thou shalt not put the Lord your God to the test, right? But this is one spot where God's like, try me. Be faithful in the tithe. See if I won't throw open the windows of heaven and pour blessing down on you. The more we experience the providence and the blessing of God, the more we know that we can trust Him. And after years of giving, let me tell you, it becomes like a, a part of the rhythm of your life. It's like breathing. It just becomes a part, sometimes it's, it's so difficult in the beginning, but as it becomes part of that rhythm, it becomes just a, a, a cycle of life where you, it's like breathing and, and it becomes just ingrained in our DNA as I am a giver. I am a tither, I am faithful in this. Now, I'm going to move on. So we just talked a long time about the most basic level of, of what the tithe is. But then Jesus says, we're moving beyond just what the, the law of Moses says. You heard that stuff before. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, do what, you know, yada, yada, yada. He says, but I'm saying do this. And he takes it to the next level. And that's generosity far above and beyond. You see, tithing is the baseline. Generosity is our next level we'll call, we'll, we're called to. We're called to be intentional with our generosity. In Isaiah 32, 8, it says, But generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. We're supposed to plan to be generous. Plan for it. Um, finding a way to give. Beyond our tithes, beyond our kingdom builders, Hosanna and I have set up an account within our family budget to just be generous. We have, it's, it's not a huge amount of money. I'm not like, $3,000 in the generous fund today. But we have set aside something so that we can intentionally be generous beyond just the tithes and offerings, beyond what we've committed to kingdom builders, something to be generous. This last Friday, I walked out of a store. I've never had this happen before. A guy stopped me. He said, hey, would you buy me a pair of shoes? And he showed me his shoes. You could see his socks through them. He goes, I need a new pair of shoes. I said, sure. And I walked in and I was able to buy him a pair of shoes, not because I'm an amazing philanthropist or, you know, I'm rolling in dough, but I knew that I had some money in that account to be able to be generous. I didn't have to think twice about it. I didn't have to think, well, we might not pay the cable bill this week. I knew what was there because I had planned to be generous, so I was able to go in and buy the guy a pair of shoes. It was a great feeling. Can I tell you, it was awesome because I had prepared myself for the opportunity, we have so many examples in this church that I've seen. I can't believe it. I think God's just orchestrating this in the last couple of weeks of intentional generosity. People just opening their their, their, their uh, checkbooks at times, but also just different ways of being generous. Uh, I know of at least one car in our church that's been given away to someone because they knew they needed a car. Actually, I think there's a couple cars, but I'm, I'm not going to venture that way. I know of someone who has given... Several hours of their work week and transformed our church grounds. If you look out here, it looks a million times different than it did just a couple of weeks ago. They're a gifted landscaper and it looks immaculate out there. They gave their time, gave their abilities because they were looking for a way to serve. Yet another person I heard, uh, heard that someone else in our church was having car trouble. They went down to the shop and they prepaid for all the work that needed to be done. Kind of like the story of the Good Samaritan. They said, here's my credit card. Whatever needs to be fixed, fix It doesn't matter what the cost. They went in, had it fixed, they paid for it. And none of this has been someone going, do do like I just did with the shoe story. Look, everybody. I, I gave the shoe story to try to give an example, but also, well done, Brent. There goes the jewel from the crown, I know, I'm sorry. But let me tell you, opportunities for generosity, searching it out, looking for it. Looking for a way to give, looking for a way to be used by God. And so generosity is not an accident. We don't stumble into it. Whoa, I was generous. But rather it's something we prepare for. It's intentional. It's not something we do. It's something that we are. I like the word philanthropist. I think that's a cool word. I would like my Wikipedia page to say Brent Wagner, philanthropist. But I do like going on, on, on Wikipedia pages and you read, it says, such and such, athlete, philanthropist, such, and, and it's actually like the title of who they are, not just they are involved with philanthropy. It, it puts like, that's part of their actual description of who they are. And I, I think that's just so cool because it says they are a person of generosity. Not, so not an activity they participate in, but they are this person. You see, we were created by God to be rivers of blessing, not reservoirs to try to collect it all. Jesus was quoted in Acts 20, as Pastor Ty mentioned last week, or a couple weeks ago, it's better to give than to receive. So, if it's better to do that, why wait? If I were to tell you, you know, it's better to uh, drink Pepsi every day, it's good for your health, don't give up on that water, you'd be like, why wait? This is great for me, you know, you just, just go right into it. If you know something's better to do, why not jump into it now? So let's start being generous now. Don't wait. You see, it's easy to say, when I have such and such balance in my bank account, when when my paycheck affords me this much space, I can start to give. When it says such and such number, I can start to be generous. Let me tell you, it may start off as being a very small amount. But be faithful in what you've been given and watch God grow what He's entrusted you with. Watch God begin to grow those banks of the river out so you can actually be entrusted with even more. Raise your hand with me if you want to grow in your generosity. Who would say, who wouldn't say, I want to be a more generous person. I want to grow in that. And so this morning, as we talk about this, as we do this, it starts with saying, let's start now. You may say, my paycheck is only $100 a week, Pastor Brent. Put $2 aside to say, I'm going to be generous with that. Put something aside to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be generous, and, 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 and it's going to start today. And so what we're going to do today is something kind of unique. We are going to actually prime the pump. This is, this is kind of odd. It's going to be kind of like reverse tithing, but in a few minutes, our ushers are going to bring around a Ziploc bag. Uh, actually, would one of our ushers run one up to me? I forgot to grab one for you. If you could run one up to me. In just a minute, our ushers are going to be bringing around, when Hosanna comes up to do our connection cards, a Ziploc bag. Thank you, Brian. And inside this Ziploc bag, we're going to give every person in here a $5 bill. So one of the pieces of paper in there is this $5 bill. And the other piece of paper is a QR, piece of paper with a QR code. And so your mission this week is to find someone to bless with this $5 outside this church building. So there's an awesome bake sale going on. That's separate. This is for outside this church building, okay? So, so you can put it towards someone's order behind you at Dutch Bros., or Taco Bell. Say, I want, I want this to go towards the person behind me. You can, you can give it to someone that needs it on the street corner. You can uh, work together. If you and your spouse are here and you got $10 together, you can do something bigger, whatever it might be. But I want you to find something unique and, and special to be generous. And the, the reason we're doing this illustration is not because we are just flowing in money. We're like, we got so much money, we just got to give it away in church. The reason we're doing this is because I think it's going to do two things. First of all, this $5 will not be hard for you to give away. It's not meant to live in your wallet, not meant to live in your purse. Do you know why it's going to be easy to give away? It was never yours. This wasn't yours. So it's not like, oh, I really got to hold on to that 5 I need it because it wasn't yours. This, you knew from the minute you got it. This is money on a mission. This is money sent to bless. This is money that I've been entrusted with to do something with it. And so this is going to teach us a, a greater lesson about God's treasure that He's entrusted us with, Right? we are managers, we are stewards of God's. Uh, so, so when we take this $5, it should be burning a hole in our pocket because we're looking for an opportunity. That's the second part of what this is all about is even though it's a small amount of money, right? Well, for some of us, it's like, $5! Um, I saw a thing the other day that said, uh, when I was little, I thought $1,000 was, was a lot of money. And it says, but now that I'm an adult, I know it's a tremendous amount of money. Um, <laughs> Uh, even though it's just a small amount of money, do you know what it's going to be at the forefront of our minds? Because we're going to be considering, how am I going to use that? How am, how am I going to be generous? So when we are intentional about being generous, when we put that at the forefront of our minds, you know what it's going to be doing? Constantly thinking, how am I going to bless someone? How am I going to help someone out? How am I going to be uh, s- serving someone? And so um, the second part of this uh, little bag that's going to be coming around is this piece of paper with the QR code. And here, this does not go to the person you gave it to, or else they're going to be like, oh, they didn't even give it. That was from their church. Yeah. Say, this is for you to scan with your phone, and it's anonymous. You don't put your name or your email or anything. It's just a, a submission form, and it says, what did you do with it? And we want to hear your story. Don't put your name on it. Just how did you use it? How did you bless someone? And I want to compile a great list of the different things that people were able to bless. Think about all the different stories here that are going to be going on in our community as people are able to just five bucks. Have you ever been behind someone in line where they said, person, beh- person in front of you covered it? And how that feels? I went to uh, the shop the other day uh, for something that was going on with my car, and I didn't know what the problem was, and the guy worked on it for about an hour. He said, we got it fixed. Wasn't a big deal. Don't worry about it. At shop feeds, that was a big deal. And you know what I did? I went and told everybody about that shop. I was like, that guy hooked me up. I'm going there from now on. Let me tell you, when, when we're blessed, it becomes, there's something just goes on. It's it's because there's a stirring in us about the presence of God and there, there's a joy that comes in upon us because we're living beyond ourselves. And so let me just encourage you. Let's tell the story. Let's move this forward. Let's let this be something that primes the pump. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10 and 11 says, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. So in the same way, He will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Did you catch that, church? God is going to increase your resources. The river banks will get widened as we continue to be faithful with what he's given us. When God sees we aren't just trying to be a bigger reservoir, when we're not trying to just carve out more space to put more of that blessing in, but we're actually being conduit for his blessing, he can entrust us by broadening that resource that he entrusts us with. Let's be rivers of generosity, church, not reservoirs of his blessing. So this morning, as our ushers prepare to hand these things out, Hosanna's going to come forward, and she's going to lead us in filling out our connection cards this morning. Hosanna.
1: this morning, one of the things that we're going to do together as part of our rhythms, a great way to connect is we're going to fill out our connection cards, like Pastor Brent said. And so if you don't already have that open on your phone, you can quickly open your camera and scan either the QR codes that are right around us or right in the seat in front of you. If you're new, the connection card is a way that we connect with you every week. We want to know that you are here. We want to know if you've changed your address. We'd like to know about your family. Um, it was mentioned earlier by earlier in the service, but if you're new and you feel like a next card, one of the ways that you can be generous with us as a first step of being part of New Life Church is that we support Feed One, which is an excellent program. Um, it's also a place where you can let us know your story this week. We want to know what we can pray for you for. We have a prayer team that meets every week, um, and there's a list that goes out to the prayer warriors of our congregation who spend time dedicated in prayer. If you have a prayer request, we want to know about it. Later this week on Wednesday, we're gathering for worship night, and uh, it's it's a night of Thanksgiving. We're going to celebrate what God has done. So we want to hear about your testimony. So tell us about the work that God is doing in your life. I'm going to circle back real quick to prayer requests because Pastor Brent talked today about how we can trust God with our tithe, and I'm going to let you know that I have been in seasons where I have had a really hard time trusting God. I'm going to be vulnerable and say I'm a mom. I'm a parent much like many of you are and i have absolutely had seasons where i've thought i can't trust god with this because i can't see how this is going to work out and it's my job to figure this out i can't get this budget to match up i've got these kids who need to be fed you want me to trust you with this money and i don't see how it's ever going to zero out and i got to tell you i don't have a perfect story of tithing and trusting god God really had to do work in my life. He had to love me well through people like my husband and our church leaders who said, no, you, you can do this. You can trust God with this. We will pray for you that God will reveal himself to you. And so I'm telling you this because I feel like I should say, as Pastor Brett has spoken about how God is trustworthy with our needs because he is. If you're in a season where you just don't know that you can because you don't see how it's going to work out, I want to invite you to let us know to be praying for you specifically about that. I want to stand with you in prayer because I have been where you are. I will say that I still am where you are. Every month I have to specifically say, God, I am going to trust you because I can think of five million other ways this money can be spent for the good of my kids, for the good of my family, for the good of my house. God calls us to trust him. And so as you are trusting God, I am trusting him with you, and I want to commit myself to praying for you this week. And so lots of ways that we want to connect with you. Feel free to fill that out if you don't have a phone. Fill that out in a physical form. Our ushers are standing at the back of the room ready to collect those pieces of paper from you. Um, Let's all pray. Why don't you stand with me as we end this service in a word of prayer. We're going to send you out as generous people of God this morning. Father, we commit ourselves to you this week. You have called us and commissioned us to represent you to our neighborhood and our community, and we take that seriously today. Let us live our lives this week open-handedly, showing our neighbors and those around us that you are a God who is trustworthy. You are a God who loves us, that we live the lives that we do because of your generosity and your faithfulness and your sacrifice. Let us represent that well to our community. Shape us this week for our good in ways that give you glory. We love you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. Go be God's people.